There's nothing to prepare you for the pain. The pain is very real, still suffer pain today, don't even want to go away. It represents the love I have for my son. That's Clint Hatton. In 2019, he lost his 17-year-old son, Gabriel, when his plane crashed during a storm. But in that unimaginable grief, Clint, his wife, and their children made an immediate decision that they would live courageously, just like Gabriel had. And out of that horrible tragedy, Clint created Big Bold Brave, a personal coaching company aimed at helping people move beyond fear to the life they really want. You have to stop someone in their tracks because the truth is often the reason they're stuck is because they haven't stopped and settled and allowed their mind to just clear long enough to even think about what would change even look like. On this episode, Clint talks about his devastating loss and how he was able to find purpose in his grief. And we hear how Clint's lengthy experience with hard times has helped him bring about extraordinary change in his clients. Welcome to The Breakout, a show about smashing through life's little boxes and forging your own path. I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. And I'm Kelly Gunther. Carrie and I are people and change experts and best friends. We've spent more than 25 years helping organizations navigate change and get the best out of their people. Come on, we know change is hard, but staying the same can even be harder. On The Breakout, we prove that you can escape expectations, and best of all, we show you how. Thank you, Clint, for joining us today. We're really excited to hear your story, and why don't you tell our listeners who Clint is and what you're about? What I'm about is I'm a deliriously happily married of over 20 years. That's my main Aww. thing. So well done. Um, I do other stuff, but that is on the highest level of priorities for me. So that and I'm father to three amazing boys, uh, one who did pass on, which I'm sure we'll touch on here in a little bit. But uh, those are my two favorite things in the world. But beyond that, I'm an author. I'm a transformational coach and speaker. And just love helping people. I've been doing it for over 20 years. And so this is this is one of my great joys, being able to just share and, and help people. I love it. Why don't you tell us about your breakout story in a couple of sentences? How did you break out? Or you said you help people. How are you helping others break out? Yeah, well, I've been helping others in some form or fashion for over 20 years. I was a pastor for 17 years, actually up until January of just this last year. But the breakout came just a few years ago. You know, even though I've been doing this kind of thing for some time, uh, my oldest son, Gabriel, who became a pilot at a very young age, he became a pilot at 17 years old, a few months shy of his 18th birthday, he was just getting hours, which is what you do. Mm -hmm. And on a return trip after dropping a friend off, he ended up running into an unexpected weather system and crashed into a mountainside and lost his life. Mm -hmm. And you know, a devastating blow, to put it mildly. Ultimately, though, Carrie, the reason why I say that is because after, you know, that initial year, I call the first year of, of grieving the shock and awe phase because you're going through that first year of, you know, all these firsts without mm-hmm. having that love one with you. But once I kind of got past that, I began to just look at how adventurous he was, how courageous he was, mm-hmm. and in the brevity of life, right? We're all aware of it, but... I think when you suffer such a loss like that, it really just puts it 
on the forefront of your mind in what can be a positive way. And so I just began to realize that there were areas in my life that I was a, a coward. And I, like, for example, the book, you know, I'd talked about writing a book for almost 20 years. Um, I'd stopped planning for starting a personal development company years ago. It was something I wanted to do and just didn't have the courage to do it. And so, you know, ultimately it was his death that caused me to take a look at everything I was doing and make some changes. Wow. So I'm just so sorry about your loss. I can't even imagine. And I know no parent wants to imagine that or go through it. So, but the fact that you did something with it, the fact that you broke out of something and you started Big Bold Brave, take us through some of that and how you figured that out. Right. It's amazing. Really, I think there was two paramount moments that happened almost simultaneously that are going to you know, be the answer to your question. The morning of the accident, after my wife and I knew he was gone, our boys had been in bed the whole night. They had no idea, you know, all we were going through because we found out he went down at about 8.15 in the evening on a Monday night, but didn't know, you know, exactly what that meant because he was in a remote area until, and there was a lot of ebbs and flows and misinformation along the way, but about 3.30 a.m. is when we actually got the final call uh, from the coroner that he was officially uh, dead. And so, you know, we had a few hours to plan to wake up our boys, which ended up being 7.30 in the morning, and have that conversation. So what happened was, you know, through kind of my life experience with helping people for so many years through really tough things, including losing children and you know, I've been in rooms with stillbirths and, you know, people dying from cancer and, you know, just helping people through some really tough times. And through that, you know, having some experience with over the years, people who had some pretty good processes in place, you know, because there's there's nothing to prepare you for the pain. The pain is very real. Still suffer pain today. Don't even want to go away. It represents the love I have for my son. But there are definitely processes that can either keep you moving forward in life or cripple you. And I'd seen too many people crippled. So the morning of when the boys came out, I set them down and two things we talked about was one, so we can choose either death or life. Death meaning if all we think about is the way Gabriel died and the tragedy of it and all the things that we're going to miss, if, if we just focus solely on his death, then we're going to be basically shadows mm. of who we were supposed to be is what I told him. But there was a second choice and that was life. And for me, what that meant was, is, and I mentioned this a minute ago, he was very adventurous, very mm -hmm. courageous, you know, lived life to the fullest, taught himself guitar, uh, was an amazing photographer, graduated a year early, you know, just he was really experiencing life yeah. in under 18 years, more than frankly, a lot of people do in an entire lifetime. Yeah. And so I told the boys, that's what we're going to do. The only way I feel like we can really honor him is to live life the way he did. Shortly after that tough conversation, Clint was contacted by a journalist to do a television interview about Gabriel's plane crash. It was that interview that would lead to Big, Bold, Brave. Now, as you can probably imagine, mm. there was just, Oy. in my mind, mm -hmm. there was no way. Mm -hmm. And I told her so. I said, I, I just, we're a train wreck. Yeah. I, there's no way I can do it. But, Carrie, she said something really critical. She said, listen, she goes, I just want you to know this. It's an assignment. I have to do this story tonight. If I do it without you, I'm only really going to be able to report on his death. Mm. If you'll allow me, 
I'll interview you. We can take our time and you can tell a story about his life. Which, as you can see, mirrors the conversation that we'd already had, right? Yeah. So ultimately, that's what happened. Later that afternoon, they came over and we did an interview. You know, the actual interview itself, total blur. And in watching it, what happened was at some point, I said he lived big, bold, and brave. The reporter at the end of that segment signed off the segment by saying, Gabriel's parents encourage you to live like Gabriel, big, bold, and brave. Wow. And when I heard those words back to me, Mm. um, I I have no better way to say it. There was life on it. And so that's really how Big Bold Brave started, was just something that we could kind of recalibrate to when we were struggling, because we did struggle. That's an amazing story. So tell us about the, so two years later, what is the goal and the vision that you have with your work? You know, I call myself a coward in the book. And that was, again, just because I looked at the way Gabriel lived and, and he just didn't allow fear. It's not that he didn't experience fear. Right. He just didn't allow fear to get in the way of mm. anything he wanted to do. And I knew I had. And so it, it was a little bit of that. And with that, I had talked about writing books for years. And so I, I just really began to understand that I had so much fear that I had to overcome and maybe a book was going to be a way that Mm -hmm. I could even, you know, bring myself therapy, if I could say it that way. Yeah. But there was a second factor too. You know, he passed away. I didn't mention this. He, he passed away on September 23rd of 2019. So three months later, the world was spun Mm. on its head with COVID. Yeah. And so, you know, we went through that whole thing with all of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the whole world lost. You know, people lost loved ones, people lost businesses and careers, and, you know, we all know what happened. So after about two years, when I began to challenge myself to be courageous, and then I just began to look around at what I felt was happening across the world, so much fear Mm -hmm. was just being spewed on us. And I, for me, that's not a political statement. And for me, it doesn't matter which side you may or may not have been on in terms of how things were handled. I still think most people would agree there was an enormous amount of fear and it filtered into every area of life, right? So that's really when I felt like I can write this book. I can write it for me. I can write it for Mm. our family and I can write it to help people overcome fear. The fact that he took what is probably one of the worst things people have to go through and to flip it, not flip it, but manage it. Flip it sounds like just like an easy thing to do. Like you flipped it, but that he looks at it in a different way and has helped other people. I mean, my God, that's just amazing. And then I always want to cry every time I hear it. So I have to like keep my emotions in check while I'm listening to him. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's just the conscious choice. Like, they hear about it like eight o'clock at night, three o'clock in the morning, they get the official word from the coroner. And then they have like four hours until their sons wake up to like figure out the messaging. I mean, that yeah. just gives you zero time to really process and think and just how you have to summon the courage to have that conversation to be right. to begin with. You parent children when you're when you've lost one. I just don't even know where, where that comes from. Yeah. One of the reasons maybe it was easier for him to look at it in a different lens is because he lived such an examined life before. Mm. So why he could 
why they could quickly say, let's be big, bold, and brave is because he dealt with so many people who already lost children, who have been through traumatic times. And in a way, you learn so much when you hear these stories because his past was intervening on so many crisis moments. You actually do kind of build up that muscle. It wasn't a foreign concept to him, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? He had at least had more of the tools, potentially. Yes, that's um, it. That's better said. Available at the ready. But it's an amazing story. So that overcoming the fear, what's the approach you're taking to help people? Because you're so right, Clint, that fear does drive us usually in very not healthy ways if you come from a place of fear. How did you, A, do it yourself, I guess, Clint? And then also, how how are you helping your clients manage through that? I appreciate the comment, do it yourself. You know, I wrote the book myself, but I would say, you know, I think it's been so incredibly helpful to have so many voices from therapists to, you know, motivational speakers, you know, you name it. I, I consumed a lot of material to help me recognize some of my fears and uh, learn how to reprogram my brain. I'm kind of a neuroscience geek. I've learned a lot, you know, about the way the brain functions. And what I have found very helpful, especially with one-on-ones, but I do this in group settings as well, is we have to confront the fear first. And a lot of people have an enormous amount of fear that's playing in the background of their mind, mm-hmm. right? We know 95% of our thoughts are running in that background program, and we're only conscious of the other 5%. And so, Usually what I'll do is, Kara, I love to have people tell me in concise terms their story first. Mm. Like, what do they have to say about their life? Mm -hmm. And I do that for a couple of reasons. One, it's just simply to get to know them a little bit better. But the second one is, is what I find is often the words that they use very quickly reveal the fears that bind them. Mm. Very common. You'll hear them talk about intimacy issues where they're afraid of deep, intimate relationships or being rejected, for example. So it comes out in the language. And so then what I like to do is I like them to tell me, what would you like your life to look like if you had no fear? And I've found that doesn't sound profound, does it? But the truth is most people never stop long enough. You're so right, Clint. Let's just pause on that question right now. I love that question. And it is, it dumbfounds people. Because say, let's remove the constraints of money or whatever. Just remove it right now, just for a second. What would you want to do? And are you doing what you want to do right now? And people have really interesting answers. Like, what could you do without that fear? It allows people to think of possibilities And then you can always work backwards and go, okay, well, that one, I can't work. I can't be in the WNBA now. By the way, I'm 5'3", so there's no way, right? (laughs) Right. It's it's an amazing question. And I think it is a profound question because we don't spend time to even ask it or really reveal and look at the answers that we get from it. Yeah, I think, and to your point too, a lot of people are dumbfounded. Frankly, more than not, can't even answer it. Mm-hmm. And so what that then begins to reveal is, is there's an enormous amount of fear mm-hmm. from, you know, whether it's trauma informed or whatever, you know, got its way in there that they're going to have to address. So yeah. that's why I love to talk about their stories first. Mm-hmm. And part of that is from making some mistakes, I think, in coaching over the years as well, 
because too many times early on, I would allow them to tell me where they wanted to go and the things they wanted to accomplish. And so then we would go right to those goals Mm -hmm. only to find out that often there were barriers in place that kept them from actually executing on that stuff. And had we just started (laughs) with those issues, the thing about coaching is, is you should never have to tell anybody anything. You know, if you're being really effective, you're asking questions that just bring out what's already inside of them. Mm -hmm. But you do have to uncover some fears to get there, right? Yep. What is maybe one of your favorite stories, Clint, of how you've seen someone identify that fear and, and, Mm. and manage through it? Yeah, I've got a couple of them, but one one that really stands out just because of all the trauma that this particular client had been through when she hired me. And and this was an interesting one for me too because it was early on and it was the first client who didn't know me at all and had actually like didn't know even of me and just happened to stumble onto me. I believe it was on Facebook, but it was on one of my social media channels. And so she was 49 years old at the time, had a really awful marriage that she had gotten out of about five years before, very abusive man, just an awful situation. And then five years later, after she got out of it, they had two children together. He committed suicide. Mm. And so then she was left with raising her, her two kids. Their dad had committed suicide, so trying to deal with that. And so the reason she hired me was she was 49 years old. Her son had now moved out. He was an adult. Her daughter was one year away and she had no idea what life was going to be like mm-hmm. now that she wasn't 100% focused on taking care of her kids and trying to make sure they're okay through all the trauma. Yep. Which of course, as you know, she was burying her own mm-hmm. to try and take care of them. The funniest thing of all is she hired me to help her get back in the dating game. <laughs> <laughs> And I like how, you, that's what, I like how yeah. you started, Clint, with I am happily married. So that was, if I'm going to look for dating advice, I might not go to someone who's been happily married for over 20 years because you're not in that game. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. But ultimately what happened is through this process of having her tell me her story, her fears became very obvious, very quick. And of course, that's what was really affecting her dating is she had an enormous amount of, re- of rejection, you know, in the past. Well, the reason why I think it's so funny and why it's been such a joy with her is the dating sessions ended after like two. We only had two sessions. And the rest of the next year, we just focused on who she wanted to be. The emotions that she wanted to experience as prevailing emotions. Um, you know, the, the fears that she wanted to put to rest. And just, again, really, at the end of the day, who she wanted to be as a human being. Actually ended up interviewing a few of my clients recently. And what happened was she said, you know, I went into this thinking that I needed help finding a man. And what I've actually discovered was myself. And now she's in a place where she just got this huge promotion. And she said, best of all, I actually just enjoy life now. And if I find a man and I get married, great. But if I don't, I'm so happy with who I am and who I have become. And I think that's so huge. You know, when you start talking about life and goals and we can all want things, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many things we have if we don't love ourselves. Right. Mm. And so that's ultimately what I think my process did for her. 
Kelly, I don't know if you want to talk to Clint about your dating life. I don't know. I may consider it. Um, <laughs> I, I think, Clint, first of all, the energy that you have for the work that you do is so palpable. I can see how you've taken the tremendous loss that you've that you've suffered and you've truly lived big, bold, and brave. I can see how that has manifested itself in, in the work that you're doing. I really appreciate that. We talked about fear. What about resilience and people bouncing back from adversity? And how do you see that sort of impact your clients and those who maybe struggle with bouncing back? Yeah, that's and that's a great question, too, because I think resiliency is critical with you know life because it's a journey and we all get punched in the gut, right? And I would say that my experience has been that there are some people that just seem to have a little bit more of that naturally. Uh, and then there's some that I think have to work through it and find some new strategies or coping mechanisms. You know, I look back on my life. I went through some really st- tough stuff when I was a young boy, uh, ended up becoming really heavily involved in drug use. I did meth for seven years now as a professional salesperson during that time. So I'm probably not what most people are thinking of when they think of that. But I quit that cold turkey quite literally, just woke up one day, literally after doing it one last time and told myself, just not who I want to be. I'm done. You know, other things have not necessarily come as easily, but some people tend to already kind of be geared towards resiliency, but we can all learn it. And who you surround yourself is one of the biggest factors. You know, we're all familiar with Jim Rohn who who said, you know, you're the basically the product of the five people that you spend the most time with. But that's profound because you are. And what I've found to be true is if I hang out with people that are resilient and hopeful and keep moving forward in life, I tend to want to do the same thing. And if you hang out with the doomsayers and people who would just want to complain and stay stuck, then chances are really good. That's what you're going to get. So I think for the sake of our listeners, I would say if you struggle with resiliency, first take a hard look at the voices you're listening to and find some new voices. Absolutely. And as someone who does struggle a bit with resiliency too, you're right. It's about surrounding yourself with people who will help push you forward in times where maybe you can't. I found it to be helpful too, to allow myself maybe 15 minutes or a small time to maybe wallow or pick the scab and then move on. You know, not disallowing myself the time to feel, but um, also not allowing myself too much time because it doesn't, the energy doesn't serve me. I love what you just said. What you just said is really, really important because resiliency isn't about not feeling pain or acknowledging pain or never shedding a tear at all. It's actually allowing yourself to appropriately deal with the emotion for the appropriate amount of time and then exchange that for something else. You know, And I've had to do that time and time again after losing my son, even yesterday. I actually was giving a message at a church yesterday, you know, it's Father's Day, and I was given a very specific message about, you know, dads and, and certain kinds of things. And, you know, it hit me. It hit me. And now people know me that that hire me to speak, so they know I'm an emotive communicator. <laughs> so, you know, if I'm going to shed a tear, I'm going to shed a tear. But I allowed it for a moment. But I didn't allow myself to become a bumbling mess where I couldn't function what I was trying to do. And I think that's the key. You said it so well. You've got to allow yourself to feel something, but then you've got to exchange it for for a emotion that serves you. And so for me, a lot of times when I shed those tears of pain, then I've exchanged it for joy. And that sounds like a weird transition, but it's really true. I've done it time and time again. And I've done it by thinking of 
intentionally fond memories about my son and about the things that I enjoyed about him and just being grateful that I had those experiences. It was really interesting just to hear him talk about how you have to replace one for another. You don't just get rid of it completely. You have to find something else to to offset it and I, ideally do something more healthy. It's like, it's not going to define you. Mm. That's the thing. Well said. That, that issue, that whatever happened is not going to define me. It is a part of who I am. It is my mosaic. Oh, I sound like I'm smoking weed now. Oh, wow. It's the mosaic of life, baby. Oh, I'm all in Southern California right now. It's the mosaic of life, but it's true. And I don't want it to define. So I don't want to say, hi, my name is Kelly and I'm I'm not a resilient person. Like that, really? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm Carrie. I'm too sassy for my own good. Like that, you know what I mean? Like we don't need like all these things to completely define us and these tragic events, but uh, how do we recover from them? Finding our journey and the answer is from within, Kelly. <laughs> Trust the process. But I think that's where Clint and we are so aligned is removing that fear and helping people take control of their lives. And that fear, fear controls your life most of the time. And it really sucks. And it makes you do really bad things. And so, yeah, if we could remove that, just one person a day, holy smoke, that would be amazing. And that's what he's trying to do. Clint, if you have one minute with someone who is stuck and wants to break out, given your inspirational story, the choices that you've made, what would you tell them? Well, I would ask questions. You know, really, that's exactly what I would do. It's some of what we've already covered. You know, the first thing I would ask them is, is what did you dream about? What did you see your life looking like? And I know, again, that sounds or can sound simple, but you have to stop someone in their tracks. Because the truth is often the reason they're stuck is because they haven't stopped and settled and allowed their mind to just clear long enough to even think about what would change even look like. And then once it's out, you know, what stopped you? Tell me some of your stories. You know, what's your first memory of being hurt or, you know, being embarrassed or being shut down, whatever it happened to be. And so I, that's why I like to work in reverse. I like to hear stories first. Then we go to, all right, now let's reverse engineer this thing and let's create a path for you. That's brilliant. Um, and I think what I like is how simple it is too. And when you have the minute to just pause, it gives people the license to take a breath and really think about their entire life, which I don't think people really do at all. They don't give those, themselves the space, the time. When you do do that, you can have the miraculous results that you've described with your clients. So my sincere thank you and gratitude for you joining us and sharing with our listeners your story. Um, it's incredibly moving and it just really reinforces the power of choice. Yeah. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for all the kind words. We are very much of the same heart. The reality of it is if you can help even just one person, it's worth it. I know you help more than one person a day, Clint. So thank you, especially for dating. <laughs> Let's like loop back to the dating. <laughs> Clint's going to start. I just, I like ideas, Clint. And I'm thinking you're having a new dating website, like some kind of matchmaker. I don't know. Just 
ladies think about it and men. I think you could go across spectrums, Clint. Kelly, I'm not I'm not pushing you on this. This is all <laughs> all carry. She but knows I have that. done no, a little it, bit it, of that. It, 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 it normally is. It normally is all carry. Yeah. So, you know, but that's why I love her so uh-huh. much. I mean, that's why she's my best uh-huh. friend. So, uh-huh. yeah. The shade starts now, Clint. Throwing the shade. It's all carry. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. I know my role, Clint. So, yeah, I'm the pusher. I'm the pusher in this relationship. That's for sure. Thank you, Clint. Yeah, thank you guys. That's Clint Hatton, transformational coach. And this is The Breakout. If this episode inspired you or made you think, give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. Reviewing is simple. Just click write a review and hit save. It helps us reach more people who might just need these stories. And don't forget to subscribe to The Breakout so you never miss a new episode. And make sure you're following us on Instagram at The Breakout Pod. I'm Kelly Gunther. And I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. See you next time.